Promo Kitchen is an all-volunteer, nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, please visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. One of the ways you can get involved is by donating to our cause. We rely on our community for financial support to help cover the cost of producing our educational content and our networking mixers. You can donate today right from your phone at promokitchen.org donate. Thank you so much, and let's get started with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. We are a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $20 billion promotional products business. My name is Mark Graham, co-founder of Common Skew, and I'm joined by fellow chef and good friend, Jason Lukash, president of Orgadio. Several months ago, Jason and I were talking about a fun theme for an episode or two. The idea was to explore what it means to be a rebel. For anyone who knows Jason Lukash, they won't be surprised that the idea of rebellion is something that comes pretty naturally to him. When asked who should be the first guest on this so-called rebel show, he said, well, that's easy, Johanna Gottlieb. So let's turn our attention towards Johanna. Johanna, otherwise known as Joe, is a senior branding specialist at Axis Promotions. Fluent in both English and Spanish, Joe holds a master's degree in mass communications from the New York Institute of Technology and an undergrad degree from Iona College. Joe worked at the Access New York City office for almost seven years before packing up her promotional bag of tricks in 2012 and moving to Chicago. In Chicago, she lives with her husband, who she also met at Access, we'll get into that, and her daughter, Olivia Bella. Joe loves running, being a mum, and making a ruckus in the promotional products industry. Her mum was born in Cuba, so she knows a thing or two about cooking. And her dad was born in Argentina, and together they can dance a mean tango. Johanna, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks. Love the intro. Appreciate that. You know what? I wish this was like visual and we could, you know, like see you doing the tango or something, but... (laughs) It was fun. I danced the tango with my father at our wedding. It was our father-daughter dance. True story. Wow. Jason, you were going to say something there. I just learned so much about her from that intro. I just will forget all the questions we're going to ask her. Let's just talk about her background because this is amazing and we should do it in Spanish. Yeah. Okay. Está bien. Empezamos. ¿Ustedes hablan español? Hablo español solamente para usted, papá. I'll switch back to English. <laughs> All right. You know what? The only Spanish that I know is the Spanish that I've been picking up while watching Narcos over the last uh, you know, yeah. couple of weeks. And it's pretty salty, pretty salty language. You know yeah. what? Like, talk about rebels. We could have, <laughs> we could have one of those guys on the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. I'll tell you that Catherine and I, when we were married 15 years ago, we did ballroom dancing at our wedding. And I don't think it was as you know cool as what you did at your wedding, Joe. It was a fun experience, for sure. We took lessons and kind of surprised our guests in the middle of the dance floor, and I think it was fun. We both can't believe we pulled it off, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we'll have to put pictures up on the site afterwards. All right, I've got a question for you. So Jason, you know, as I said in the intro, was talking about this Rebel podcast, and 
I'm curious as to what being a rebel means to you. And are you a rebel? Are you being fairly categorized? The mom in me says no, but the Joe in me says yes. I mean, I laugh about it, but, you know, if you call a rebel someone that drops an F-bomb when appropriate, then I'm probably a rebel. Um, <laughs> I say definitely keep it real, like Jason. But on the Axis side of things, I think one of the things that we've learned from Axis, and it's something that's taught me, is just kind of saying it like it is and sharing our opinions with our clients to the point of them relying on us, being really honest. So we're not afraid to say what we want to say. We're not afraid to give our opinions when it's, you know, client product based and they're asking about projects or what they should do. We'll let them know when we don't think it should be a $5 umbrella or a lip balm for under a dollar. Right. I think those kinds of approaches to the way that we talk to our clients makes us a little bit rebellious. Is that just an access thing or is that a New York thing? <laughs> I love that question. I'm from New York and I do think we definitely say like it is and now that I'm in the Midwest, I see a change in the way people approach one another. But I think it's twofold, right? It's an access thing and it's a New York thing. Yeah. Well, access being in New York is just like a double whammy. It's, it's not much better dealing with access people. One of my favorite distributors, by the way. Nice plug right there for everyone. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to jump in here. We, of course, all know Larry Cohen, founder of Access, Promo Kitchen Chef, has hosted many of these podcasts with me one of the greatest guys in the industry. And, you know, I've never worked with Larry before. I mean, outside of Promo Kitchen, but he strikes me as such a laid back, non-New York aggressive kind of guy or forward rebellious kind of guy. If we're, you know, suggesting that people from New York are, you know, straight talkers. Have I misread him? No, laid back is nail on the head. I think, you know, whenever we have client or in the New York office and clients would be in, people would be very surprised when he'd come to a meeting and be so warm and welcoming, open door policy all the time. He is certainly laid back. He does have an opinion. As you guys both know, he's very smart. So he's pushed us to give clients feedback and pushed us to be honest with our clients and give them opinions. He is not aggressive by any means, but you don't have to be aggressive to be a rebel. Yeah, that's true. I'm super curious. Like, Can you think of an example, just putting you on the spot a little bit, so if you don't know, we can always come back to this later. But like a recent example that you can think of where you stood up to a client when they said, hey, Joe, we're looking for a thousand really cheap white shirts for our trade show or something like that, where you just looked in the eye and said, I'm not going to take this order. You have to go with something else because this is going to be a disgrace to your brand. Yeah, this happens a lot in meetings. We're talking about products. We're talking about projects and case studies. And someone will say, well, we have a golf event and, you know, we always do lip balm and I'd like to spend 40 cents on the lip balm. We show hard examples. We say, do you want to be the person that puts your logo on something that's going to burn someone's lips or sunscreen for that event? The last thing you want to do is represent your brand in a negative manner. So let's think about lip balm in a more focused way. Can we do them for 99 cents to make sure they have aloe in them or SPF? Yeah. It can be lip balm. We don't have to steer away from that product because it's more promotional. Let's just do it the right way. I was going to actually like further that question. One thing I've seen a lot recently in this industry is people are moving away from just the CPS model, which is the cheap plastic shit model, and they'd rather give away more higher perceived value stuff and give away less. Have you seen something kind of similar on like the distributor side? Or if not, do you think people are still going to keep giving out cheap plastic shit? I think cheap plastic shit is always going to be part of the industry, and that's okay because there is a need for it. In the commodities, there's a need for that in this industry, and that's certainly a moneymaker for a lot of people. I agree. 
people do want quality over quantity more these days. And I think that's kind of revolving around the world that we live in, right? There's, you know, quicker turns, lower minimums. People want car service in two minutes while you swipe your app and you have an Uber in front of you. So now they they went from wanting one set of headphones to wanting 10 sets of headphones, but they have to make sure that it's still the end quality price. So we're talking about people wanting these goods and wanting them faster, but also willing to do low quantities, high quantities, as long as it's the right piece. I think at first it becomes, I have $10 to spend and I need a 1,000 pieces, and then you go back and forth and you show them what can be done and you talk about what you've done for other clients and it becomes, well, maybe I should really think about this a little differently. Maybe I should take that $10 item and make it a $20 item and do half of them. So yes, that conversation is happening all the time. So I want to take a few steps back here, Joe. I'm so curious about your background. So here you are with this undergrad degree and your master's degree in mass communications. What led you into the promotional products industry? And was Larry the first person that you started working with, or did you have a career before the promo business? I'm curious if you can bring me up to speed to how you got into this space. Sure. I think 80% of the people that you speak to in this industry stumbled upon this. Yeah. And it's an industry that's very hidden. I've heard people talk about this in other podcasts that we should really be educating college students about this industry because there's such a great need for young people in this world, in this promotional world. For me, I graduated Iona College in about 2002. And you know, like recent years, the market wasn't great. So I decided to get my master's immediately after my undergrad. And I was working at the New York Institute of Technology where I got my master's. So I right. work nine to five during the day, get my master's at night, they paid for it, win-win. Interestingly enough, my background there was, you know, I was administrative, doing administrative work, and I kind of stumbled into this role where I was working for the dean of the medical school there. Working closely with him, we built a robotics lab where we would train first and second year medical students to work through a robotics lab with standardized patients. So I would train you, Mark, and you, Jason, on how to be a patient and have students go in and meet with you and you would present illnesses and then we'd rotate you through a robotics lab where you'd actually be working one-on-one with a robot. And it was a very interesting role. I learned a lot very quickly. It took me about two to three years to finish out that role and finish my master's. And I knew that I had done some interesting work, but that it was time to really put my brain to use in what I was studying. So I applied to AXIS. I knew a little about it. I didn't know a lot. As soon as I interviewed there, it definitely felt like the right fit very quickly. As you guys mentioned earlier, I met my husband on my interview. He was working in the New York City office as well. And after two or three interviews, I got hired, and it was my first job in promo world. I was hired 2006. I was working with two senior salespeople who both had very different books of business, very successful books of business. One was handling major import business, so writing you know handfuls of orders a year at a large volume. And the other one was doing a lot of domestic business, She knew product really well. She knew suppliers really well. She's still there. She's really good at her job and taught me a lot about being quick on your feet. So after maybe six, seven months, I knew I was interested that I could do this on perhaps their level. So I started to loosely reach out to people I knew and, you know, here and there placing orders of my own. Spoke to Larry a little bit about my desire to want to cold call and prospect and build a business. And we decided at that point, maybe 2008, to kind of pull me from other people's teams and start working under him a little bit. Right. So I was managing a couple of his larger accounts in New York, and it was great. I was working for Larry, learning a lot very quickly, and I was able to build a book of business on my own. So with luck, my business started to turn into something a little bit larger, and over the years, I started just kind of managing my own book of business while 
working less on his accounts and kind of passing that. And now I'm at a point where I'm managing my own business. And I do work on one or two accounts that are Larry's, but mainly building my own business with a team. Right. You think you'll be a promo lifer? Is it fair to say yes? Yeah, I'm sad because I think I'm in the same boat as you. That's kind of sad to me, but whatever, as long as we're in it together, screw it. And no, I'm not really ashamed of it. And Jason, I said to you when I saw you in Chicago, I said, you know, because Jason is the rebel and Jason will joke that he doesn't care or whatever, but you do care and, and it's hard for you to show it, I think. And I said to you quite honestly in Chicago, I hope that you and I are, the, you know, the future leaders of this industry in 10, 20 years. Uh, yeah. we're, so if that's so. the worst that comes out of this, then I don't think that's that bad. Yeah, but I think I'm also like not caring to make you a rebel. So that's good that we both are into Kool-Aid. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I think you guys are being a little modest right now. I'd say that you're already, forget the future leaders of the industry. You guys are the leaders of the industry right now in terms of, you know, people mention your names and the work that you've done and the reputations that you've, you know, built over the years. You're absolutely admired. So I'll just throw that in as from the cheap seats. But I don't know if what you were talking about there, Joe, is, you know, when you look at, um, you know, the people that are on the cover of Counselor Magazine, like if you're referring to those people as like the leaders of the industry, and you could argue, yes, but I don't know that that really matters as much in no. 2016. I don't think so. I don't, ever be on a, I don't want to be on a magazine cover ever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to record this little piece of tape. And so when Jason is like the... PPAI man of the year or person of the year, whatever they call it. <laughs> say I prefer centerfold, Mark. Mark, I prefer centerfold. <laughs> yes. Yes. I like that. I like yeah. that. Hey, I have one question that I've just been asking. I want to throw it over to Jason in a sec here. So hang on. So you mentioned while you're interviewing at Axis that your current husband, or I suppose your future husband at the time, was interviewing you? Like, can you get into that a little bit more and how you navigated this really weird world of office romance? Yeah. He was not interviewing me. He was in the office. Let's make it clear. Uh, okay. Let's make it clear. He never had authority over me and still does not. <laughs> okay. Yeah, definitely does not. <laughs> but he was working there about a year before me. He is from Chicago who moved to New York just to kind of figure things out for himself. And we joke that he went there looking for me without knowing. But we met, became friends, really just a friendly relationship for about a year. And then friendship turned into something more. We tried to keep the office romance low for about six months. And then Larry did ask me about it, which was very uncomfortable. And I lied. I said, no, it's Joey. We would never, ever date. And immediately after, I went to Joey and I said, I lied to Larry. I can't do this anymore. So we told him the truth. And, you know, it was honestly fine. We worked together for about a year. It never really got in the way. I think I was really interested in building, you know, my reputation at Axis and working at Axis. And Joey at the time was managing a large account of ours. And, you know, he kind of figured out this wasn't for him. He knew he didn't want to do this forever. So he decided to leave in 2008, right before the world fell apart. Mm. And shortly after, he decided to get his MBA. So that kind of took us here. He decided to apply for business school in New York and Chicago. And we were dating seriously at the time and living together. And after, you know, applications and interviews and a proposal, he said, I think DePaul is the way to go. And that's in Chicago. What do you think? Hmm. And I said, I don't know. I mean, my family was in New York. It was going to be a really hard decision for me, but 
I talked to Larry about it. I talked to my family about it. And we decided, you know, if there was going to be time to do it, it would be now. I think for Axis, our first CFO, he was from the Midwest. He was from Illinois. And so I think there's probably always a vision for something to be here. Me opening that door saying, I can do this. I can go there and I can start an office was something that kind of felt right and wrong. It was hard for me to leave the New York office. It was hard for me to leave my family. But we said, let's do it. Let's do it now and see what happens. Right. Four years ago. And what's he doing now? My husband graduated, and now he is an accountant in a nice ah, firm here. Amazing. Hey, yeah, also, you know, that someone else that has in-laws in Chicago, it's not that bad of a place, though, right? It's not that bad of a place. I mean, I still consistently get asked, what's better, New York or Chicago? Hard answer, Wait. hard question to answer, because pizza, they're both though. great cities. Pizza. I'm not a pizza person. But oh, come on. My, heart's, my the... heart's in New York. My heart's in New York. If we're going to be okay, real, okay. my heart's in New York. People are so extremely nice here that it does make you laugh on how crazy New Yorkers are. So that was a nice adjustment to come to a nice Midwestern city. <laughs> All right. And building so, business was here. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, your answer is more important than what I was going to say, so go for it. I was just going to say it's very interesting on the client approach here. I think you know, I came here wanting to knock on some doors, and I don't want to sound like everything was a success, but knocking on doors and getting meetings here seemed to be a softer lead-in or use the word nicer, but people were more interested in meeting with me here, where I think in New York, sometimes it's hard to see your own clients when you're down the block. And especially knocking on doors in New York, cold calling in New York is, is awesome and exciting and exhilarating, but it almost seems like people were interested in seeing this new distributor in Chicago. Right. Yeah. Sure. I mean, everyone in New York's always like, ain't nobody got time for that, so I'm fine. How do you deal with the constant, like, industry just complaining where it's like, well, my customers found the same item on foreign print for 15% less, and then, like, do you price match? Like, how do you deal with situations like that when, when your customers come to you, found something online for cheaper and ask you to price match it? You know, it's easier said than done, but I think I try to take a step back a lot and understand the client, right? They need to look good to their boss. They need to shop us around. They need to say, I found the best price. I will see if Axis can match it. And then I would have saved my firm $100 or whatever the number is. So yeah. I know when those emails come in, it's like, oh, another imprint email. But they're coming in, and, and they're probably not going to go away for a little while, if ever. So there is definitely times I do price match. But I think one of the things we're trying to do more and more is to try to pick up the phone and talk to the client when that email comes in. So a good example is, you know, we have a client who's actually a big Axis fan and they're constantly tagging us in their posts on Facebook and social media, giving us accolades, speaking well of us. And they came to me about a month ago looking for an item that was on four imprint. And so I called the client, we had a nice talk, and he said, if your price is close to or obviously beats four imprints, I'm probably going to go with you. We love you guys. You guys always do great work but I'm a new business owner and I have to save money where I can. And I said I completely understood and we talked a little bit about the value and the work we were doing together and a little bit about how far we've come. And he said, you know, you're absolutely right. He said, people talk a lot about trimming the fat and figuring out where to save the dollar, but the fat adds the flavor. And I, and I really liked that line from him. I liked it mm-hmm. a lot. And I told him, I, I said, I'm going to use this line. And he said, take it. So I think it made his wheels turn a little bit differently in the way that he's approaching us for business and the way we're working together. And I, I hope that many clients will listen in the same manner he did. Yeah. I, I, I think, he, yeah, that's really good. Like that should be the title of this episode. I, <laughs> really, really good. 
It's so interesting. We were having a conversation today. I, I jumped in and was sitting in on the right sleeve all team meeting this morning. Coincidentally, this is actually a total coincidence. We were talking about Jason, your awesome Rhapsody product. This is not an endorsement for Origadio or anything, but they were just sitting right there on our drafting tables where the whole team was standing around and we had this there and we were talking about like the impact it had and we were looking at like the product and trying to compare it to what was the retail equivalent in the marketplace so we could tell a story to clients and you know all this stuff but anyways kudos to you jason and your team for sending that out it made a huge impact yeah but that wasn't the reason for the story here's what we were talking about we were talking about various client wins and one of the things that is such a constant at a place like right sleeve is we look at places like for imprint or maybe even just a local screen printer that's down the street who just focuses on screen printing t-shirts and nine times out of ten is always going to beat us when it comes to printing a thousand white shirts because we don't have printing presses here we're not a printer we're a design firm and we really came upon this conclusion a little while ago that those companies like for imprint and the local screener are not in the same business with us at all and to some extent they're not really competitors of ours they're not true competitors and that's not to say that we look down at them, not at all. They're excellent at what it is that they do in their segment of the industry. But we always say to our sales team, like, if you're competing with 4imprint, we probably haven't done as good a job at telling that client our story, our value proposition, the reason why they should be paying for the fat, right? In some cases, it's a client that doesn't value the fat. Maybe they just want the pure skinny experience where they just need a thousand shirts. They want to go pick it up, but they don't want to have any advice. There's no strategy. There's nothing. And that's fine. That's not really a customer. But I think that a lot of people in the industry don't really think of it that way. They think of 4imprint as like some gruesome competitor when in actual fact, I think a lot of distributors in this industry don't really truly compete with 4imprint because their value propositions are... So fundamentally different, and it ultimately just comes down to whether you can tell that story. So that's what I wanted to share with you. Yeah. Spot on. There you go. Joe, so I'm looking at a Pinterest board here that you did for Belly Rewards, and something we can share in the show notes for the podcast for people that would like to see this, but it's a really beautiful board that you've created that showcases your creativity. And I'm curious, uh, two things, if you can walk me through the process as to how you build these programs? And number two, whether you had your client saying to you, hey, Joe, I went to 4imprint and price shopped all of your items here. Belly is a great client and a great example. And as you mentioned, I have a Pinterest board of their work, kind of a collection of the jobs we've done over the last three years, which I have for probably 10 to 15 clients. Some are private, some are public boards. And so as both of you know, we have kind of an agency approach to things, which gives us a little bit of a retail look or allows us to work with retail parameters for product. So whether it's the Rhapsody, which is a great product to mention, or other projects, we love to showcase them in a way that's a little different. And so I think one of the things we all face with our clients is, well, you did these bags for someone in New York and I never got a chance to see them. Or I didn't know someone in Chicago was ordering pet folios. I'd love to see what they're doing. We decided to create these boards to give everyone at the company a chance to see what the work other people were doing. But in turn, it allowed us to use Pinterest as a really good platform to showcasing projects. So just to rewind, Belly is a client in Chicago. They're a rewards program, and they're actually in a few states now. And they were one of the first people I tried to cold call when I got here to Chicago. So it's having little to no luck. And I happened to be in a 7-Eleven in my former building in Chicago. And I saw a young man wearing a belly jacket in the store. So I said, here's my chance. 
So I went up to him and said, hi, my name is Johanna. And I asked him a little bit about what he was doing with Belly and the kind of work. And, and he let me know about his, his work at Belly. And I asked him if he knew who was in charge of buying his swag. And I said, to be very specific, where did you get the jacket you were wearing? And so I invited him up to my office, which sounds crazy. But I said, if you invite me, I'd love for you to come upstairs. This is a true story in, in my building. I don't want to pick up. He came to my office, and within a few minutes, I had the name of the buyer or the person in charge of marketing and turned that into a really wonderful relationship. And so Belly, for us, you know, I think I got lucky. I think I've gotten lucky with several accounts where they were hitting the ground running when I found them. And so they knew a lot about what they were buying and what they needed. But we found them at the right time, and we showed them what we were doing for other clients, and our stars aligned. And I say that a lot, but I just think they were a really good fit for us. We were a really good fit for them. They were certainly thinking out of the box and asking us for projects that were way different than a lot of other people. One of their slogans is, you know, believe in your fucking self. You'll see that time when you walk in their office and they've asked us to print that on mugs. So they really, really kind of think out the box more than most. And we love that. And so we've gotten lucky. And so a lot of the jobs that they come to us for are apparel for internal employee use, whether it be people in the sales fields wearing jackets or tank tops for the gay pride parade here. A lot of times yeah, it's messenger bags after your yeah, messenger bags yeah. for your five year gift for working at the firm. Or we recently did custom acrylic awards where they wanted to tell someone that they were the shit. So we did emojis of poop and we can mm. put the person's name on it. So they are just a fun client and they've allowed us to be creative. We've built the business over the last three years, but we've also built really good relationships with some people there and we've been fortunate that they've in turn referred us to a few great accounts in Chicago. Right. So it's been a great partnership for us. And as for that second question, I think I know the answer to this, but have they ever come to you and said, hey, Joe, I'm on 4imprint right now and I'm cost comparing you to them? Has that ever happened? Yeah. It, so it wasn't 4imprint. They're actually starting to work direct with an apparel person online and they shared the name with me and they had done a job. They canceled the job on me, to be very honest with you, and it hurt. But I talked to them a lot about how it was going, how the customer service was, and I asked them to just keep me kind of in the loop on how it turns out because we don't want every single job to go to them, obviously. So that was recently, and we're just trying to deal with that iceberg and figure out how we can navigate around that because we certainly don't want to lose their business or their partnership. But yeah, yeah, they're smart shoppers for sure. And what reason do they give you for going to this online competitor? Someone in the office was using them at another company and was having success. And so they were like, we looked at your prices. We just wanted to get a rough estimate for what else is out there. We found going direct, we'd be saving money. Always awkward, isn't it? So you wasn't, wasn't the best email to get, no, but it's okay if they're still a client, and I think we can get through this. I think we'll still be getting some of their apparel business. We're really just hitting this roadblock, so but it's happening, and so yeah, yeah. At Belly, are most of the people obviously it's got to be a younger company, right? With younger customers, it is, yes. So that brings up like my random question here millennials, right? People in this industry are terrified of millennials. I think it's fucking hilarious because. The people that are terrified of millennials are the ones that obviously aren't going to survive the millennial zombie apocalypse. Um, So I want to know how you really cater towards millennials and what do you think of all the people that just complain about millennials and I can't figure out how to sell to them. I mean, that's your special sauce, obviously, but just what's your comments or feedback on that? Yeah, I think that conversation was happening a couple of years ago more than it is now. I think you have to realize that this is the workforce. You know, I think millennials get a bad rap. I know a lot of people in the generation that are hard workers, including people on our team in New York and in Chicago. I'm not scared at all. I think, you know, these people are not afraid of hard work. 
I think the way that they're compensated and the way that they're treated is certainly going to be different than older generations. You know, people want experiences and value and great company cultures where that may not have been important five, ten years ago. So we have to learn to adapt to those types of things, not being scared of millennials. I mean, I certainly, I'm not scared of millennials. I think it's a wonderful workforce it's entering. Yeah. You know what I find so stupid about this conversation about millennials is that I don't think it's about millennials at all. I just think it's about whether you as a salesperson can be adaptable. It's like the same thing oh, as saying, yeah. I, I'm scared of New Yorkers because <laughs> they're really direct and mean. Or you could even say within a company, I'm scared of the HR department because of whatever, because I normally deal with the sales and marketing department, right? Like it's so stupid. I, and yeah. I feel like if you're a salesperson, and you're going and you're selling to a 20-year-old, so let's say this millennial, that may even be more, I don't even sure if that's millennial right now, that might be like Gen Z, but anyways, someone who's like 25 years old and you're 50, at the end of the day, it's all about just understanding their needs. Like, how does this yeah. person want to communicate? What is this person's expectations? What is this person's view of the world, right? Like, it could be a 25-year-old that thinks like a 60-year-old. Right. It could be a 60-year-old that thinks like a 25-year-old and just wants to Snapchat all day. Like, at the end of the day, I don't think it's any different at all. And I think it's just something that's been manufactured by the media, and it pisses me off. If you're a person, you. are you adaptable or not? <laughs> I hear you. I mean, there's definitely a difference in communication, right? If someone's 25, 26, 27 is going to want to email versus call, and that's okay. We're emailing too. We, The three of us emailed to get this going, right? We, It's okay to email. You don't always have to pick up the phone. Yeah. One of the things the three of us might do differently, though, is not be afraid to pick up the phone and call our clients and have, have hard conversations. True. Yeah. That's true. I've got one here, and then I'm going to turn it over to Jason after this. Multi-million dollar portfolio, okay? There's a lot of people in this industry who may be over a million dollars, but there's certainly a lot that are not over a million dollars in terms of having a, a portfolio. And you're someone who has been really successful in building a really big portfolio over the years. Are there a couple of things that you can share as to how you get to that figure? Sure, yeah. I keep accrediting luck. I do think I'm a lucky person. I like cold calling and prospecting, and I don't think you'll hear that a lot. I joke that it's the only reason Larry likes me. When I came to him many years ago and told him I had an interest in this, he was surprised. So I think I've shared with you that I have learned from Karen Kopp, who has yeah. been on the podcast. She's a wonderful mentor who I still turn to. And I kind of follow her approach. I feel like the best advice I can give anyone that wants to build a large book of business is just really stay hungry. I think it's easy to get busy and easy to get kind of wrapped up in the steadiness of your day or busyness of your day. But you want to make sure your pipeline's always full, that you're always sending out the lumpy mail, sending out the lumpy packages, and doing the follow-up. Because the cold calling and the prospecting and the research behind all that is certainly time-consuming, but it's really the follow-up to all of that that is going to be what is the difference between you and someone else. So I have done that for many years. I continue to do that. I love sending out fun packages like what Jason sent out that we're still talking about. I'm, I'm constantly trying to send out packages like that, and I'm following up on them, so I'm not just going to send out the package and hope that you like it. I one, hope that you'll contact me before I have a chance to contact you. But if not, I have kind of my system for sending the package out, noting when I sent it, setting a reminder on when I'm going to follow up, noting what happens when I sent out the reminder, and then kind of following this protocol and tracking it all in a Google document that I keep. Right. So I can keep all my eggs in one basket. 
And you have to make little differences in the way that you approach your clients. I think you should call people back. I think you need to, you know, again, follow up with them and do what you said you were going to do. If you are cold calling and prospecting with someone and you say, I'm going to send a package out to you, keep an eye out for it, get out of your chair that moment, send out the package. Because you're proving to the person right there and then and how your relationship is going to be. Yeah. So little things like that have been helpful for me. I change my voicemail every day. That's a Karen Cop tip that people in the office laugh at me about, but I change my voicemail every morning. So when someone does call me or does call me back, that they don't feel like they're calling someone that never checks their voicemail. They kind of have accountability knowing that every morning I've changed my voicemail. So little differences like that, I think, helped me along the way and hopefully will continue to help me. What does today sound like? Well, it's pretty standard, and you can call my voicemail to test me out. But I used to make it personal, like, today's my niece's seventh birthday. I stopped doing that, but I do, you know, Larry will joke that my pitch is different every day. But, you know, today is high. Today is Monday. If I could get the date right, this would sound better. Hi. <laughs> you have reached Johanna at Axis. Today is Monday, September 26th, and I am not at my desk. Please leave a message, and I will be sure to call you back. Thanks. Every now and then I'll be like, it's my anniversary or something special, but that doesn't happen a lot. It's usually just a change of the date and a little time stamp. Are you still cold calling by hanging out in 7-Eleven? Like, is that your strategy I, now? I do go to 7-Eleven a lot because they have amazing coffee, but most of my cold calling and business kind of building comes from me reading a lot of publications for local, there's a cranes here where I can just read mm-hmm. about local businesses Fastest 50 in Chicago, who's hiring, who's moving into the West Loop, best places to work. So I started reading that just as a no-brainer when I moved here to learn about Chicago and learn about the business and kind of growth here and what's out there. And now I just really enjoy reading it and have learned about who moved into a marketing role, who moved into the DVP role. So that's kind of my Bible right now and how I get probably the biggest list of leads. And then I'll just do some research on the person that I'm interested in calling or emailing. Speaking of Chicago, so how is it being remote or, I guess, managing an office? I know you and Lauren are out there, but how is it like being away from the New York crew and handling your own office and accounts in Chicago? You know, it's it's something I'm still figuring it out. It's been about four years to the day. And I was in New York my whole life, but in the New York office for seven years. So when I moved here, I decided the first year to really try to just focus on maintaining that business and keeping the clients happy, traveling back and forth, going to see them. And I knew I wanted to maintain those relationships and grow them as well as get referred to other clients in New York. But I knew that after about a year here, I would need to really hone down and focus on new business here. So I was hopeful that the experience would be good since our Boston office or outside of Boston office and our Westchester office have proved successful. I knew there was potential. The biggest things that kind of hit me year one were that I wasn't seeing vendors all the time. So that made me a little bit more proactive in terms of going to vendor sites, looking for new products myself, making sure I would have phone calls with strategic partners about what products were new. You know, whether it was Peter from Peerless or Margaret from Prime, we would have phone calls about products and just talking about what they were showing the New York office that I wasn't seeing. So that took a little bit of work. After about a year, we grew the office to two where I hired a young woman named Lauren, who's been an amazing asset to our team here. And so we started to see vendors more. We started to kind of go to shows, get regional, 
and let people know that there was a presence here. And then and within the last year, we actually hired one other person named Ryan, and he's been hired as a salesperson. So we're growing kind of organically, and it's been great. We can't say we don't feel completely disconnected from the New York office because there's definitely a disconnect. But what makes it much easier and manageable is some group emails that we share with the New York office or, you know, GChat is so easy. It's such a great tool. And on the flip side, I've always been the type of person, whether I was in the New York office or this office, to kind of reach out to newer people in our Westchester or Boston or New York office and say, how's it going? I'm in Chicago, but if you need anything, here's my direct line. Know that you can call me. So if we're all doing that as axioms, if you will, and making sure we're checking in with each other, it really doesn't feel like a disconnect. It does really feel like a good family. Mm -hmm. Joe, I'm always curious about how people stay organized, like particularly when they're really busy, successful salespeople like yourself. Like, how do you keep your shit together? Yeah, I feel like my shit's together like most days, but not every day. I actually think people that are organized have to organize in a manner that works for them because what works for me is never going to work for one of you. It's never going to work for Lauren in my office or Ryan in my office. So I always say whatever your system is, find it and make it work. My email is a working inbox for me. So that means whatever's in the inbox, there's a call to action. And then I have subfolders of client projects. But what kind of ties it all together for me is managing a Google Doc. And so the Google Doc is every single project or sample I've worked on to date and is kind of a running doc of things that have not died. It only dies when it becomes an order and then it becomes a purchase order. And then the other side of my doc is a prospecting doc, which I referred to earlier, where I go ahead and line up when I've made my reminder calls or sent my reminder emails or sent out a package. So Google Docs has helped me tremendously in terms of organization. And internally for email, I have subfolders that keep me very organized. For art, we obviously have portals where we can upload art. Those are my keys to organization. And then I do still love pen and paper. So I have a journal at my desk for anything that needs to be jotted down during the day. But a lot of it is really through the Google Docs. What motivates you each day to like get up and do promo and keep clients happy and come with like, new ideas? Like, What's your motivation? What's your internal way to stay on top of things? And just tell me more about what motivates you. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have been made fun of for this, and I hate to remind myself that this is me, but I'm kind of like this access cheerleader. I really like where I work. I love the company I work for. I think I'll be here for a very long time. So I'm very fortunate to have a very challenging but very awesome job. So that's yeah. motivation itself. You know, I don't want to sound cliche, but as a new mom, I do wake up early every day and kind of think about my daughter and getting to see her in the morning and hug her. I literally wake up every day to work out. I love working out. And so once I kind of get through that, my daughter, I usually get up before her, and my morning starts with her, and then I'm kind of focused for the day. So Without being so cheesy, I'm kind of trying to stay positive about the work week. I like Mondays. I feel like it's a good opportunity to start the week. And I'm kind of that person is like, what do you mean you don't love Mondays? So motivation for me comes in the form of the fact that every day is different. The three of us are in a role where we're never going to go to work and have a list of things to do. And that list of things to do gets accomplished. It's go to work have someone that tells you they forgot to order 3,000 bottles for an event this Friday or <laughs> go to work and have someone say, I track the package and it looks like the tracking number is not working. And then you call UPS and UPS goes, oh my God, that truck went on fire. And you go, what am I going to do? Drop what you're doing, fix that problem. So I kind of love that. You really are on your toes every day. I think it's so easy to tell someone you're going to be in a fast-paced, thriving industry. You'll be on your toes. This job will keep you on your toes. I mean, this this is just like 
every day is so different. And, and so for me, that's really fun and energizing. And I think it's keeping me young. And I hope it does for many years to come. Joe, I've got one more question and then we can turn it over to you for the last word, which is something we like to do with all of our guests. A lot of people in the industry talk about salespeople and how it's so hard to find good sales talent and what ultimately happens, or at least in some cases, is that there's a lot of poaching that goes on between distributors. I think this also happens between suppliers too, but I think you really see it with distributors. What's your view on finding the best sales talent? Are you a proponent of hiring from within the industry or are you a proponent from hiring outside the industry and grooming them even if that's going to take longer for them to go find a book of business? I think both are going to be successful. So we've been lucky. We've made some right hires. We've made some wrong hires as well, but we've learned from those experiences. When I was in New York, I was working very closely with the team. It's Everyone's still there, actually, and really smart, dedicated young women. And when we came here, a little different hiring here because I was looking for two roles. I was looking for, one, someone to help support my book of business, but you know, I also wanted a salesperson. So the salesperson portion of this is probably the trickier one. And for support, I think you can easily you know, hire someone that was working in a robotics lab with medical students, teach them how to manage a book of business. I do think there's success in hiring and teaching someone younger at a junior level on how to be a salesperson, but it does take a while. It's a long road. So there's two different roles here, right? There's the the support and finding someone that you want to groom on how to be a great account manager and hopefully eventually become a salesperson. And then there's the salesperson role, which we're currently doing now. I mean, we're looking for another salesperson and my feeler's been out for our key suppliers to talk to others in meetings and talk and think about who would be right for access. How about hiring Jason Lukash? What do you think that guy would be like? Crazy. <laughs> can't afford me. No, I can't. Actually, that's absolutely fucking true. <laughs> People would be uh, like, that dude from Shark Tank? What? Dude, we would, we would <laughs> dominate, though. If I was a distributor with you, oh, talk about, I mean, we talked about Dream Team earlier, but like that's for real, Dream Team. Yes, love it. I love it. We'd be drunk there's, a lot. There, yes, we would. <laughs> This podcast, so we've got two things on tape here. We've got one, I'm not going to be on some stupid magazine cover, man. <laughs> How do you think that's for my little Jason Lukash impression? And then <laughs> I'd never work with Joanne as a distributor. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's, that's good. Hey, Joe. Last words. I've got to get running here shortly and want to be able to give you the chance to, you know, share some last bits of wisdom with the Promo Kitchen community. Yeah, I mean, I'm really thankful for the community. I have been a big fan for a while. I'm also a mentor for you guys right now, and I really enjoy it. I'm not sure my mentee enjoys it as much as I do, but I like it. We speak twice a month, and it's been a really great experience for me. But one of the things I love about you know, the PK world is the fact that I'm learning so much about so many different people in the industry. And so I think anyone in this industry that wants to learn and grow and kind of see things in a different light, because you guys are definitely doing things differently, should be following you guys on Facebook and getting the emails and listening to the podcast because they're all great. Hey, well, thank you. And you being a mentor certainly means a lot to, you know, the entire community. I think it's been a a pretty cool journey. And for people that are listening to this that don't know we have a mentor program, you can check it out on promokitchen.org. And we'd love for you to sign up as either a mentor like you have, Jason, too, as a mentor, or if you're looking to be paired with a mentor, we would call you a mentee and you could sign up for that, too. So your mentee is lucky to have you. (laughs) Thank you. She's a great girl. Yeah. But yeah, thank you guys for this. And, you know, my advice to anyone out there is kind of just 
stay hungry, stay focused, and remember it's definitely a fun job that keeps you on your toes, and I enjoy it. I love it. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much. And Jason, thanks so much for this great idea, man. This was really, really great. No problem. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org slash donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.